Before you're seated, I want to just say a couple of things quickly before we read our uh, text today. Our nation has had two major crises in the last three months. COVID, we ate, drank, slept, thought, worked to fight against, and were focused on for three months. And, And then George Floyd happened. Um, I'm the kind of guy when something major happens around me, sometimes I just need time to process. I want to think, I want to pray, I want to gather information. I want to, um, be sure that when I speak on it, I'm speaking from not just raw emotion, but from scripture and from, um, wisdom and something that will bring healing. But let me talk to you quickly about when I saw that video. I forget how I heard about it, but I clicked on the YouTube and I saw George Floyd on the ground with a police officer's knee on his neck. And I heard him say, I can't breathe. And when I heard that, I'm a very, I have a sensitive nature. I have a, I feel things strongly. That's why I preach with my heart. I don't just preach from my head, but I preach from my heart because I feel what I preach. And when I looked at that, I had to just close it and get up and walk around. I began to pray. It was horrible watching a man murdered. Murdered. There's no other way around it. Now, and by the way, every police officer I know, and I know quite a few, are as revolted and repulsed and angered by that video as me. Having said that, I just, I couldn't process what I was seeing. I couldn't believe I was seeing it. And then I went and showed Cindy, and we both just felt like somebody had kicked us in the gut, just just punched us in the gut. And I had to process it, that this was happening in front of us. That this man lost his life. Protests erupted, rioting erupted. I want to say quickly, the protests totally justified. The rioting, not. You don't solve anything by committing crimes to protest a crime. But protests, totally there. I tried imagining that I was black and that I was watching my worst nightmare happen in front of my eyes. But see, I believe that God has something to say about this. God is certainly not silent on this. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you in just a moment as I share the word with you that 
God has always been about bringing down racial walls. He's always been about that. I'm going to show it to you happening over and over again. Cindy, I know that it, it, it sickened you as well, what we saw. And yeah, it, it was horrible. And um, I, it was, I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch the whole thing. Um, there's just no words. It's just horrible. And I was telling the first service just that I love every single one of you in this house. And I love all my brothers and sisters, God's creations. And you are all beautiful to me. And I'm so sorry for the pain that many have endured Mm -hmm. and the wrong that many have endured. Yeah. And um, what I want to do is I want us to, listen, I want us to be a church that brings healing. I want Turning Point to be a church of racial reconciliation and racial healing, racial acceptance and racial strength. I really do. I mean that with all my heart. And so I'm going to share from my heart a couple of my own stories, and then I'm going to speak to you out of the Word of God. But I want us to go ahead and put the verse up there, would you, please? And let's read the the, uh, text for today, because I want you to look at what Jesus did. Uh, Ephesians 2.14. I want you to look at what Jesus did. For Christ himself is our way of peace. Is that true? Amen. Come on, everybody. Now, I want you to look at what it says about him. He has made peace. Now look now between us Jews and you Gentiles by making us all one family. Now I want you to read the next four words, breaking down the wall. What wall? A racial wall. Because in the New Testament, it wasn't black, white, brown, red, yellow, Jewish, olive skin. It was not anti-Semitism. It wasn't any of that, but it was racism nonetheless, because racism is racism wherever and however it manifests. And I want you to look, it was between Jew and Gentile. If you were a Jew, you looked down on those Gentiles. If you were a Gentile, you didn't have anything to do with the Jews. And it was racial at its core. And I want you to notice what it says about Jesus. He broke down that wall of contempt that used to separate us. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? Come on, everyone. Thank you, dear. You're good. And so let's pray together, and then I'm going to get into this message. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus, the wall breaker. Jesus, the wall breaker. Father, we thank you right now for the word of God. We thank you for your healing. Lord, we want to bring healing now. We want to bring strength. We want to bring racial strength. Uh, we want, Lord, uh, there to be a spirit here that is a spirit of love, a spirit of Christ, the spirit of compassion and acceptance and equality. And, Lord, we just thank you that you are here amongst us. And I believe that, Lord, this tragedy is going to be turned into a triumph because it's going to take churches like ours and make us stronger here than we've ever been. And I believe God for that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Don't hug somebody, but turn to somebody and say, I believe we're about to hear a good word. Amen. Amen. When you stop and think about it, uh, racism is antithetical to the gospel. In other words, you can't preach the gospel and have racism 
amongst you. Now, let me tell you one of my own stories. Um, when I first started pastoring, my first church was in East Texas, way in the, deep in the woods of East Texas. It was a little bitty town called Quitman. We used to say, we don't quit, man, in Quitman. I know that's bad. But anyway, and um, when I went there, I was 30 years old, and I was, I will admit to you today, dumb and dumber. As far as I'd never pastored, I had no idea what I was in for, and um, I, I had stars in my eyes. I couldn't wait to get in there and pastor a church, uh, you know, and have my first senior pastor in, and I was all gung-ho, and we did. We built a church of 500 people in a town of 1,600. Yeah, something. They came from other towns as well, but God did a great thing. But it was the first time in my life that I encountered racism. I wasn't raised in racism. My home was not a home that was racist. You see, I see, I think racism is learned. You're not born with racism. You learn it. It's taught by word. It's taught by expressions. It's taught by attitudes. It's taught by gestures. It's taught sometimes by, by things you don't say as much as things you do say. Um, I believe racism can be caught as much as taught. If a child is raised in the atmosphere of racism, he doesn't even know that he's caught racism until he gets out there and realizes that there is racism in his heart. Racism has always been a part, a sad part of the human story. Racism is this. I'm going to give you a simple explanation or definition. Racism is the belief that one is superior to another because of the color of your skin. That's it. That's racism. When you believe you're superior to someone else because of the color of your skin. And it can go white, black, black, white. It can go brown, red. I mean, we Hispanics, brown. Indians, red, uh, Jewish people, olive-skinned. Anti-Semitism is a form of racism. Racism is all around. But it's when, for some reason, it's irrational to think that because of the color of your skin, you're superior to someone else. That's irrational. It makes no common sense, rational sense. But that's racism. And that belief is what, I need light in here, everybody. Let there be light. What happened to the light? I'm sorry we plunged you into the dark. Michael, what's going on? I want light. Let there be light. <laughs> I don't think that meant anything except our lights went down. Anyway. Um, so that's racism. It's a weird belief. It's not rational. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what it is. That because I'm white skinned, I'm better than you, or because I'm olive skinned, which is what was happening in Jesus day with the Jews towards the Gentiles, because I'm born Jewish, then I'm better than you, a Gentile who's not born Jewish. And so when I got to East Texas, I began building this church and Kathy and I, my, my late wife, um, God rest her soul, who 
uh, we had two little kids and we had to get a babysitter and the church was booming and going and, and we were coming and going a lot. So we got a, we found a babysitter who was this wonderful, beautiful African American girl who eventually became friends with Kathy. And I one day said to her, I said, Hey, uh, if you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you come to our church. And she didn't say anything and she never showed up. So I asked again and we kept kind of pressing her. And finally she said, Pastor Jeff, I would love to come, but I, w- I would not be welcome. And I said, no, what do you mean you wouldn't be welcome? Of course you're welcome. I, I want you there. Kathy wants you there. And she said, yes, but many of the people in your congregation would not. And I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to accept it. And I had never been faced with this before. I'd never heard it. I'd never seen it like this. And eventually I began to realize that with some that were there, it was true. And the only way that I knew that it was true is as time went on, I would hear comments. And the comments were racially tinged. And so I knew it was true. And I always wanted a multiracial congregation. Because you see, I believe heaven is going to be extremely multiracial. Amen? Come on, everybody. Heaven, heaven is going to be the most desegregated place in the entire universe. And it never made sense to me. How in the world can you have a white church, a black church, a Hispanic church? Why this segregation into different kinds of churches when it ought to be everybody, all of God's children, coming together all the time, loving one another? And I realized that it was because of racism. This belief that because of the color of my skin, I'm better than you. And you're less than me. And this is a reality. And so it really began to bother me. And I worked hard to try to get a multiracial church there. And it just never happened. But when I came here, and I listen, right now we have the most multiracial congregation I've ever had. And you can ask my staff how many times I have praise God for it and thank God for it and, and told them how appreciative and thankful I was that finally I'm getting the multiracial church I always wanted because that's what I've always wanted because I believe in heaven. It's going to be a great big multi-million billion multiracial crowd of people praising the same savior. And so I wanted that here. I really wanted it here. And finally, God has been giving it to me, and it has meant the world to me, and I really mean that. It has blessed me. And listen, I don't care if your skin is black, white, yellow, red, brown, olive. I don't care if you've got pink hair, purple hair, blue hair, no hair. I want you in this church. I want you to know you're welcome in Turning Point Church because to me, multiracial means stronger. Because how can I preach the gospel and say, God so loved the world if there's racism here? Because the world means the world and the world means every race. So how can I get up and say, Jesus loves you if there's racism here? Because, because if, if I'm black or another skin color and, and I feel racism coming towards me, I'm not going to believe you. And you shouldn't. When I began to think about it, I thought about Jesus and how Jesus was the ultimate 
wall breaker when it came to racial divides. Jesus pulled down the racial divide over and over again. In Jesus' day, the racism was between Jew and Gentile. Now, all you had to do to be a Jew was be born of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. If you came from one of the 12 tribes, you were Jewish and you were olive-skinned. And anybody else was a Gentile. Now, I think probably in here, almost 99% of us are Gentile. And if you had lived in Jesus' day and you were not Jewish, you would have been looked down upon by the Jews because that's where the racism was. That's what the verse is talking about. He said, between us Jews and you Gentiles, he has made peace by pulling down the wall of contempt that used to separate us. That's what Jesus did. And I have seen something in the Bible. I have seen that every time the gospel made a major advance, it had to first go through a racial divide. And I'm going to show you that. In Jesus' day, the racism between Jew and Gentile was so strong that the Jews stuck pretty much to the northwestern region of the Sea of Galilee. So they had their area of town. And the other side represented all that was impure and decadent and sinful. And that means the land of the Gentiles. The Jews had their place and the Gentiles had their place. And there was a racial divide. And the Jews didn't go where the Gentiles were. And the Gentiles didn't go where the Jews were because they were totally divided racially. And folks, Jesus knew that. And he knew my gospel is not going to make any major headway unless these racial, racial divides are pulled down. One day, Jesus commanded the disciples to get into a boat and journey to the other side. The other side is where the Gentiles were. We would call it the other side of the tracks. And one day, Jesus got his disciples into a boat and he said, come on, let's cross over to the other side. But what the other side was, was a land of the Gentiles. It was Gadara. And Gadara was a land of Gentiles. Now, no doubt about it, and we all know the story is one of the most familiar New Testament stories when they're crossing the sea to go to the other side to Gadara, the big storm kicked up and we all know about it. Lord, don't you care that we perish and the waves were filling into the boat and Jesus stood up and stilled the wind and stilled the waves. Peace be still. And don't you know that while that storm was going on, some of those disciples were thinking, this is God getting on to us because we're going to the other side. You know how you interpret things. And once they reached the shore, watch this. Once they reached the shore, they saw a terrible sight. Running up towards them was a naked man covered in dirt, covered in cuts. He cut himself with rocks all the time. He was a cutter like we have today. And he was cutting himself because he was full of demons. He was the fear of the town. Moms did not let their kids go out in the streets with this guy out there on the loose. He had supernatural strength. When they chained him up, he broke the chains like butter. It was like he was Superman, but he was super strong by demonic energy. Satan had so filled him. Somewhere along the way, this poor man had opened some kind of a door. Maybe it was the occult. Maybe it was witchcraft. I don't know. But the door opened and he became filled with demons 
And the demons caused him to live out in the graves. He made his home in the graves. He was howling at night, living among the tombstones where the dead things are. Nobody walked out in the streets of Gadara after dark because of the demon-possessed man of Gadara. And he came running up to Jesus when Jesus landed on the shore with his 12 wide-eyed disciples. They'd gone over to the other side and broken a racial barrier doing it. And this man fell down at Jesus' feet and the devils spoke out of him and said, we know who you are, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Have you come to torment us before the time? This man totally taken over by demons. And Jesus said, who are you? Give me your name. And they said, we are legion, which is at least a thousand. A thousand devils. Can you imagine one devil can torment you half to death? But a thousand devils inside one poor man? This was probably the worst case of demon possession in human history. And Jesus had broken a racial barrier to get to him. And this man sitting there on his knees, the demons speaking out of him. Jesus said, get, come out of him. And the demons came out. And this tormented man, ruined, destroyed, was made whole. And when the townspeople came out to see him, they couldn't believe what they were seeing because he was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Yeah. And he said, Jesus, let me go with you. How can I thank you enough? I can't thank you enough. Let me travel with you and your disciples. But he wasn't called to be an apostle. But Jesus said to him, I want you to go home and I want you to brag about the great things the Lord has done for you. And he did not obey Jesus. He said he headed straight for Decapolis and Deca, Decapolis, Deca is the Greek word for 10. And what it means is Decapolis had 10 cities and this formerly demon possessed man went to 10 different cities preaching Jesus up, telling them what Jesus had done. And God moved all throughout that region because one man was set free. But what I want you to see is it took bridging a racial divide. Come on. It took bridging a racial divide to see that kind of move. And what I want you to see today from the word of God is every time God's people bridge the racial divide and bring healing instead of division, it releases the power of the living God on the earth. God owns it. God puts a premium on racial reconciliation and compassion and acceptance. Amen. That ought to get you excited. But if that doesn't, I got a couple more. At another time, Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, which was sort of like uh, the worst of the worst of the Gentile cities or towns. He had to pass through Samaria. Now, a little bit of history. In Jesus' day, the Jews who went from Judea to Galilee would literally take a much longer route that took way more time and way more walking just to avoid those nasty Gentiles. And if they did touch on Gentile soil, when they got to the other side, they would brush off the dirt from Gentile soil. And that's how they saw the Gentiles. But not our Lord. He did not take that long route like all other Jews. No, he made a beeline for Samaria. 
he crossed the racial divide and went straight to Samaria. And he sat down at a well, and you know the story. As he sat down at the well, a woman came up, a Samaritan woman, and to get water. And Jesus said to her, hey, give me a drink. Can you give me a drink? And her first reaction was, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan? Don't you know who you're talking to and that you being a Jew, you're not supposed to be talking to me, a Samaritan? And she wanted to know, what's up with this? You being a Jew, you're crossing the racial divide. You're not honoring the racism. You're crossing a racial divide. What are you doing this for? And then she said, because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She asked this because she didn't understand what he was doing. And we see later that the disciples walked up while he was still talking to her. And they also said to him, why are you talking with her? What are you doing talking to this woman? She's not Jewish. Jesus, don't you understand what you're doing? You're crossing a racial divide. We don't do that. But Jesus essentially said to them, maybe you don't, but you will, because you're going to be following me, and I do. Do you know that Jesus said to her, wound up saying to her, okay, uh, well, let me tell you about some water I've got. And she said, tell me about the water that you've got because you wanted water from this well. And he said, well, I've got some water that once you drink of it, you're never going to thirst again. She said, give me of that water. And Jesus said, I'm glad you asked. Go get your husband. And she said, well, Lord, uh, I don't have a husband. Uh, no, I'm kind of uh, shacking up. I'm with somebody I'm not married to, and we're living in fornication. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband because you've had five. And the one you're living with now ain't your husband. And she was real smart. She connected the dots quick. And she said, I believe you must be a prophet. (laughs) See, by reading her mail, he was making her a candidate for receiving the living water that can only come by believing in Jesus Christ, the water of the Holy Spirit. And, And so Jesus led her to himself and she believed on him. And it says she ran into the town of Samaria and she gathered all the men of Samaria and brought them out of Samaria to hear Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus stayed two whole days in Samaria. And it goes on to say many more believed because of his own word. So an entire city was affected by Jesus Christ because one woman was uh, affected and the one woman was affected because Jesus was willing to cross the racial divide and build a bridge. And because of that, God was able to move. And I want you to know, church, things have not changed. I want maximum blessing on my church. I want maximum blessing on my life. I don't want the Holy Ghost to be uh, grieved with anything in my life. And so I'm going to cross the racial divides. I'm not going to let, listen, I don't want a racial divide. I want multi-race. I want everybody. I want everybody to know the love of God. And I don't want there to be one scintilla of racism among us because I want the blessing of God. And then in the book of Acts, we see Simon Peter. He's going through a town named Joppa and he stops at a house of one Simon the Tanner. And he gets hungry and he goes on the rooftop and he begins to pray. And as he's praying, Peter had a vision. 
It says, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained, as he looked into the sheet, he saw all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles, lizards, snakes, toads, frogs, and birds. And a voice, now those are all things that under the Mosaic law The Jews have been commanded to never eat. These were all unclean creatures. They've been commanded under Moses to never eat. And the the Bible says that Peter heard a voice. And the voice said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. You're hungry, eat one of these. And Peter responded, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time, said something very important. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. All right. Now, the Lord never does anything by mistake. He was setting Peter up for the next phase of what was about to go down. A knock comes on the door as soon as he had the vision. And he goes down and he looks and opens the door. And there at the door are Gentile men from the other side. And they have been sent by a man who was a centurion, a centurion, Cornelius by name. And he was also a Gentile and he had had a vision from an angel and the angel had said to him, I want you to go and find one called Simon Peter. He is in Joppa at a house of Simon the Tanner. And I want you to send men to get him because he's going to tell you the way to life. And so when these men came to the door, Peter connected the dots and he realized that God had given him that vision to set him up so that he would not be defeated or hindered by racism. When he opened the door and he saw that it was Gentiles, he said, this is why I had the vision, because what God has cleansed, I cannot call common. These men are not less than me. They are equal to me. We have both been loved by God, cleansed by God, and and, and I am not to look down on them. And the racial divide came down. And Peter, who would not have walked down the street with them before he knew Jesus, walked all the way to Cornelius's household. And let me show you what happened. When he got there, a miracle was waiting because Peter began to share the gospel with Cornelius's household. And the Bible says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell. Everybody say the Holy Spirit fell. Isn't that what we want? The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, meaning the Jews who were with Peter, were astonished. What were they astonished at? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Amen. And what this meant was, we know from history that this was the open door, the beginning of the gospel going to the Gentiles, the other side of the tracks, the ones the Jews despised. This was the beginning of the gospel going to the Gentiles. And it all happened when Simon Peter was willing to let racial barriers go down and obey the Lord and reach out to people he never would have before. Amen. So once again, I want us to see today that, that racism always blocks God. It hinders God. But racial reconciliation and racial equality and racial acceptance always opens the door for God to do new and mighty things. And isn't that what you want and what I want? We want God to move. Come on, everybody. We want a move of the Spirit of God. One last example. 
I talked about it last week, but I'll just mention it quickly again. Here's Philip. He was a deacon. Stephen was a deacon. Philip was a deacon. And Philip went into Samaria. Remember, Samaria is where Jesus had been a few years before, sitting at the well with that woman. Now Philip goes back, post-resurrection, post-ascension of Jesus back into heaven. Now the Holy Spirit's moving. People are being saved. And Philip crossed the racial divide and went into Samaria, where that woman had been, where the Gentiles were, the other side. And a great revival broke out. People were being saved. Demons were coming out. People were being healed. There was a mighty move of God. The whole city was being shaken by the gospel of Christ because the racial divide had come down. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip out of the blue. Philip, go into the desert. Why, Lord? I'm not going to tell you why yet. Just start walking. Go into the desert. And he told him the direction to go. And so Philip began to walk. He left the greatest revival of a lifetime. Every preacher's dream. He left it. And he went into the desert and he starts walking. He sees a chariot up ahead. It's a nice chariot. It is a fancy, expensive chariot. And the Holy Spirit said, join yourself to that chariot. Meaning, start walking along beside it. And as he came along beside the chariot, he sees inside the chariot is a black man from Ethiopia. They have nothing in common. Because this man was an Ethiopian eunuch with great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. So he was a major high-end representative of Ethiopia under the queen. And he just happened to have a copy of the Old Testament opened. He was reading Isaiah about a man. He's reading about a man who had not received justice. He's reading about a man who was wrongly treated, who was rejected and despised for no good reason. He's reading about a man and he can't figure out who he is. Who's, the, who's this talking about? And here comes Philip by the power and direction of the Holy Spirit, joins himself and and. The Ethiopian eunuch said, do you know what this is talking about? It's talking about this man. I'm reading that we've all gone astray. We've all gone our own way. And I'm reading about this, this man upon whom God lays the iniquity of us all. Who's he talking about? He said, come up here and sit with me. And Philip got into the chariot and he began to open the gospel to him. And share Jesus with him. And this Ethiopian eunuch said, what is hindering me from being water baptized? Philip said, do you believe? And, and I'm quoting now straight from memory, but it's what the word of God says. The, the eunuch said to Philip, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He said, let's get into the water. And they got into the water. And he said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Buried with him by baptism into his death raised to walk in the newness of life. And as soon as this eunuch's head came up out of that water, Philip was raptured away and taken to another city where he landed, touched ground, preaching the word of God. And it says the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing, but we know more. When he got back to Ethiopia, he began to preach and teach and share Jesus Christ in Africa. He was the open door to Africa. He was the first one to go into Africa and share the word of God. Listen, watch this now. If there had not been Philip, if Philip had not been willing to let the racial divide go, 
then there would have been no move in Samaria. There would have been no Ethiopian eunuch saved and Africa would have remained untouched until God sent somebody else. But when somebody was willing to say, you know what? I love everybody. I'm not going to walk in racism. I'm going to walk in love. And he went in there and preached the gospel because of that churches began to spring up in Ethiopia all over the place because of this one man. So I tell you today, that any time a church or an individual or a company or a business is willing to let racial divides go and bridge the gap and love one another as he has loved us, then God moves. God places a premium on racial reconciliation. Now, I want to just leave you with a couple of things I'm going to ask you to do. And then I'm done. Number one, let's make it practical. I encourage everyone here and all of you watching, and myself included, establish in your own heart that you're going to be a part of the solution to the racial chaos going on right now. Establish in your own heart that you're not going to be a question mark. You're going to be an exclamation point, that you're going to be a part of the healing. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the dividers, but blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. How many of you want to be called the children of God? Amen. I believe that blessing will rest on the head of every person that becomes a racial healer. Secondly, I want to encourage you to intentionally build a bridge with someone different from you. Make a friend of somebody different from you. Now you may have already done that and I may be talking to the choir But maybe you've never had the opportunity or just never been in a context where you could make a friend of someone of a different race. But I want to encourage you to do it. I have, I have two accountability partners that I've had for over 15 years. And that means we know each other's stuff. We get down and we say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I need prayer for. Um, they know me in the bad times. They know me in the good times. I know them in their bad times and weak times and times of failure. And, and we know one another and we hold each other accountable. And they've been in my life in that context for over 15 years. One of them is black and the other is Hispanic. And I can't tell you how many times, and they're dear friends. I'm their pastor, but they're also dear friends. And we have had great conversations on race. And I was able to hear from them. See, you don't understand somebody till you either walk in their sandals or you listen to them and what it was like to walk in their sandals. One time, me and my black friend, who I cherish as a friend, we were in a Friday's and we were alone and we were just talking. And race came up. And I said, tell me, and I asked a couple of questions. What was it like growing up black in America? Because he's my age, okay? So he was there in the civil rights movement of the 60s. Um, He was there when there was still segregation. They were asked to have their own water fountains, their own restrooms, crazy, nutty, irrational stuff, Jim Crow all these things that 
came to bear on them after the Emancipation Proclamation. You know, what they went through, Lincoln gives them the proclamation that they're free. 3.5 million slaves in the South were free, but they were going, where are we going to go to church? Because so many of the white preachers have this racist gobbledygook in their head because they were taught wrong and they were interpreting scriptures terribly, badly. So then where are we going to go? So black churches formed. And, and that was one of the beginnings of the whole segregation thing. Listen, as the church goes, so goes the nation. Not as politics go. As the church goes, so goes the nation. Jesus said, you're the salt and the light. Well, that doesn't just mean going out and quoting John 3.16. That also means sharing and teaching and preaching and standing for kingdom values. And one of the kingdom values is, if you say you love God and you don't love your brother, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So we're talking kingdom values. So, so anyway, he was talking to me about what it was like. Now, he's very successful. He's made boatloads of money, beautiful house, but he faced racism all throughout his life. And he talked to me about it. He said, my dad told me early on, he said, shine it on. When it comes your way, shine it on and keep your eyes on your goals and don't let it hinder you or sidetrack you. He said, I never did. And I told him bluntly, I said, you know, I'm, I have a sensitive spirit. I do. I have a passionate nature. I do. I feel things intensely. And I said to him, his name's Tony. I'll just tell you. Anyway, I said, Tony, um, if I had been born black and raised in America without Christ, knowing me, I would have wound up being an angry, young black man, probably an activist, because I would not have been able to handle the injustice of it unless Christ came into my heart. So we had these kinds of talks. But if I'd never had a black friend, how could I have ever heard those things? So I want to encourage you, bridge the gap. Are y'all hearing me? Come on. Are you hearing me? Bridge the gap and, and, and get to know somebody of a different race. And, and, and I just want to leave it there. I want to leave it there. Realize that God has created you as a Christian to be an influencer of the culture. And I, and I want to see churches like Turning Point rise up and say, you know what? Racism has no place here. As a matter of fact, we love everybody equally. Everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. Nobody's any better than anybody else. Jesus died for the whole world, and that included every race. And you know what? That's where we stand. Nobody's any be- better or any worse. And that's it. So I want to ask you to stand with me. How many of you want to see God move? Do you want to see God move? Seriously? You want to see God move? Then we need to walk in love. And how many of you can stand with me and say, racism has no place here. No place here. No place here. Amen. No place here. I got in trouble in the first service because my Hispanic accountability partner partner looks just like Cheech. Now, if you don't know who Cheech is, forget it. It's a movie from the 70s, Cheech and Chong. (laughs) And he was sitting on the back row and I said, 
my other accountability partner looks just like Cheech. And everybody turned right around and looked at him. He said, thanks a lot, Pastor Jeff. They don't even know who I am. And they're calling me Cheech on the way out. But see, I've heard from him about Hispanic. See, we got to hear from other people. Amen? Can we lift up? And I'm going to ask Robert. Robert, I want you to come up here, would you? Robert, come up here with me. And Robert is one of my dear black friends. And, you know, he's black, I'm white. Hey, we love each other. And um, he's been my semi-bodyguard standing over there for years now. And I love him. He's, he's um, a good man. And I've asked him to pray. And how many of you will lift your hands and say, Lord Jesus, we want to see God move. And we want to be a part of the solution and not a problem. And we want healing to come out of this church. Can you pray that with your heart? So, Robert, go ahead and pray for us right now. Father, we want to thank you and give you the glory and honor. We want to give you all the praise. And we want to thank you, Lord, for your death and resurrection, Jesus. We're seeking you, the resurrected Jesus, the one with eyes of fire, the one who holds the key yes. of death and hell. We yes, thank Lord. you, Father, for pouring out your yes, love Lord. upon us, giving us the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yes, Lord. Father, we just want you to know, Lord, we want to be filled more and more of you. We empty out of, of us, Lord. Continue, Lord, to help us unwrap one another so that we can be filled with more of you so we can pour out among one another first and foremost and then pour out among the world we're asking Jesus for an outpouring you're yet pouring out your spirit Lord we make ourselves available we open up our hearts and our minds continually to you Lord our eyes are gazed upon you Lord you alone the author and perfect of our faith we want to thank you today Jesus And we want to be one as you are one with the Father. We want to be one with you continually. Bless TPC, Lord. Make us one even as you are one with the Father. Help us today. Yes. So that we can see the walls and barriers come down in Jesus' name. In fact, we declare it in the name of Jesus. We touch and agree, Lord, that the walls and barriers of racism come down in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord every stronghold and every wall come down in the name of Jesus. You said if we pray anything according to your will, you you will hear an answer, Lord. And we thank you in advance for it, Lord. Help us to see as you see. Think as you think. Love as you love. Yes, Lord. Walk as you walk. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' name. Now, amen. Amen. Hang on. Now, um, Robert's a good guy. He also has a sense of humor. I have a woman who has, for years, cut my hair. She's just been around forever. And she has the grace to sometimes come here if I'm looking semi-hippie, and she'll cut it back here. So this morning, she happened to be there, and she was cutting my hair. And he came in, and he sees what she's doing. And he said to her, you got time for me? <laughs> anyway, that was good, Robert. Thank you. Are you glad he came to church today? Amen. Amen.